0: Hi, and welcome to Song Divers, an interview podcast about singer-songwriters. We like to go deep in conversation with our
1: favorite musicians in search of honest answers. What are the ingredients of a great song? What makes a songwriter tick? Can a musician make a living these days? Is Jason Isbell
0: overrated? What? My name is Stefan. And this is Ed. And for anyone considering quitting their job to chase a dream this guest will lend you some perspective hey guys this is
2: Nate
3: Curran
0: Nate Kern would be pretty comfortable with us describing him in two words, road warrior. But that wouldn't be enough to encompass the description a guy like him deserves. The much decorated songwriter is a big dude, but not intimidating. He should be, he's tall and tattooed, regularly donning a western fedora and boots, but his eyes are a giveaway. Our first look at Nate showed us the poise of a seasoned storyteller with an expression that radiated an empathetic kindness. Nate's friendliness was outmatched only by his humility, which is especially refreshing when you consider the five international music awards and time spent at the top of the iTunes charts. From the honest reflections on his albums to the engaging stories from more than a decade on the road, we are grateful to Nate for saying yes to an interview and sharing so much with us. We hope you enjoyed joining us and getting to know him better. So Nate, where are you from?
2: I grew up in North Georgia, about um, about 40 minutes west of Athens. Um, an hour north of Atlanta, northeast of Atlanta. And uh, lived there until I left home, um, 17, 18, and then sort of popped in and out of Georgia for many years, lived in a bunch of different places. And um, You still have family there in Gainesville? No family oh. left in Georgia. Oh, yeah? Yeah, They all after I left home, they all moved. My sisters, who were a, a bit younger than me, uh, they were all raised in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Oh, cool. So that's where they've all been for the last... Ten or twelve years, I guess. You get out there much? Longer than that. Uh, two or three times a year, I'll roll through and stay with the family for you know a week or so and eat mom's cooking. And
0: I mean that place is so rich with music history. Oh yeah it's, yeah, it's stupid. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah,
2: roll through and you know it was maybe four or five years ago. I'd never all the times I've been to Muscle Shoals to visit families, see my sisters, you know, even friends there. Um, I'd never been to Fame, and then four, four or five years ago, literally, my mom, who and, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, is not a music person at mm-hmm. all, and a super conservative Christian woman. She's like, "I'm taking
1: you to Fame today <laughs> because you've never
2: been, and it's right here." And, yeah. and so we went and we toured the studio, and it was. I haven't
1: been. My wife cool. and I were actually supposed to go there about a month ago. And we had to change our plans at the last minute. So oh, it's man. kind of it's on, worth
0: it. on our list. Yeah. It's,
2: it's, a,
1: yeah. it's a great spot. So,
0: so, so Nate, yeah. w- w- what was your upbringing like? You mentioned your mom wasn't musical, but were you a good kid, bad kid, athlete, musician? What was going yeah, on? Yeah, man, that's a, all of the above.
2: Um, so my dad was a
0: Southern Baptist preacher.
2: Um, still is to this day. And, um, you know, very uh, conservative, traditional Southern home—it's um, the way we we pretty much grew up. But which, which you know had its pros and cons. Um, my brother and I, who were only a year apart, we were both athletes. We played basketball through high school and then into college. And
0: um probably smart to tell listeners since they can't see you that you're like seven feet tall. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the boots add a couple inches. I'm right. about six four. I was gonna say six uh, four. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, we all grew up, so myself, my brother, both sisters were all required to play a musical instrument from the time we were fairly young. Um, although we were, we grew up on more traditional church music hymns, and mm-hmm. um, we all played piano for at least three or four years. That's and I excellent. continued on with it as well as one of my sisters. And then we all sort of started dabbling in other instruments, and one became pretty proficient on the violin, and my brother and I picked up the guitar in high school, and... So it, it sort of turned into uh, n- never did any of that family type music stuff. Thank the Lord. I was going to ask,
1: yeah. Uh, but um, but did you play in church? Like, did you? I did. Yeah. In, yeah, some yeah. of us
2: did. Uh-huh. Um, but I played piano in church growing up. I do you know, offertory stuff and and all that from the time I was, I guess, ten years old on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you know, went off to college and really started playing more of the guitar and joined my first. "Quote unquote rock band, um, um, amateur hour, but um,
0: <laughs> and it, it was that's fun. what it takes." Yeah. And, yeah. and were you it's... were you listening to to you know popular music growing up, or was it more the stuff you're hearing in church? And obviously, you know, you're around music and you're doing the operatory stuff. What were you listening to? What was getting into the household? Were your parents listening to music and stuff like? How's it coming in? A lot your of years?
2: a lot of classical and a lot of hymns in, in church stuff up until high school. And then um, I sort of began to rebel, mm-hmm. <laughs> as it were, uh, my brother and I, and uh, started listening to you know stuff on the radio and rock and roll and you know old country stuff and just sort of mix of mix of things. And um, that was right about the time grunge was sort of mm-hmm. getting its boost. And uh, Alice in Chains was my first rock show. Okay. Yeah. Um, nobody's
0: gonna nobody's gonna argue that.
2: Yeah, that was. Did you go down sort of to Atlanta to, for that? Or yep. yeah, yep. Okay, I was in Atlanta. Yeah. Um. But yeah, snuck out and went to, went to plenty of shows after that. But um. Yeah. So, so you know, so it started out more traditional, and you know, and I still appreciate that stuff very much. I listen
1: to a lot of classical stuff and uh, soundtrack type music. And it's funny you mentioned uh, the the hymns because now, like now, when I'm looking back at your stuff that I've listened to, you can kind of hear that. It has that kind of... There's a oh, traditional yeah. vibe, even though it's not... You wouldn't hear it in a church, but I can kind of hear right. that, that uh.
0: Well, a cer- that tone, certain songs
1: you, know. probably, you probably could. Right.
2: Um, yeah, like, a, like sure. a
0: folkloric traditional approach, mm-hmm. for sure.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's got a bit of an
1: antique uh, varnish on some of it. Yes, yeah, some so. of it does, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs>
2: yeah. And then uh, I put out a record in um, 2012 or 2013 called The Pilgrim, and it's the only... Quote unquote religious work that I've done. It was a book or an album based on the book The Pilgrim's Progress, Mm -hmm. which was a a Christian allegory from Mm -hmm. the the 1600s. Um, But everything, every other album I've ever done have been pretty much, you know, mainstream, I guess. I I, I don't know what you call it.
0: But in listening to that, that was almost like almost more of a study, you know? The Pilgrim? Yeah. Yeah. You know, versus a, you know, a. uh, a worship based. Yes, yeah, certainly not right, a worship right, right. album or anything mm-hmm. like
2: that. But but more of a um but certainly has strong religious undertones to sure. it and mm-hmm. um you know anyone who listens to it certainly pick up on that on s- certain songs for sure. But it really that entire record tells that story of the book and I sort of w- wove my own life into it as well and um it made for an interesting yeah like you said sort of a study Mm -hmm. study yeah
0: so you're slipping out seeing Alice in Chains and rock shows and stuff and (laughs) playing in a uh mediocre at best from what you're from what you're making it sound like cover band but so when when the originals start coming up when you start to write you know it was right about that time um my freshman year in college I
2: started writing
0: um what what was the catalyst for
2: that well, you know, I, I take that back. I back up. Um I started writing music, um, even in middle school and high school, composing things on the piano and mm-hmm. but but uh as far as lyrics, that started um my freshman year of college and it was an interesting story. Um and I talk about this in my, my album The Madman and the Poet. But I, I went to I backpacked a couple of summers in a row I flew to the British Isles and I backpacked through England and Ireland and Scotland. And, um, there's a mountain in Wales that has a local tradition, um, attached to it. That if you spend the night on the top of Catter Idris, this Welsh mountain, you'll wake either a madman or a poet. Cool. And, uh, long story short, Buddy and I trekked up this mountain. It's 3,500 feet. Giant hill, essentially. And uh, with the fog, we got trapped on the top of Catterjus, and we spent the night. And it was right after that trip I started writing lyrics. Oh, wow. (laughs) And uh, my friends have joked... It woke up a madman and a poet, and, um, and that's sort of what birthed that record. I was going to say, um, is your
1: friend the insane one? Like,
2: <laughs> I don't, I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> but, uh, no, it, it, actually, probably cause I think he's living in Thailand, just randomly doing crazy stuff. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's sort of what's, what sparked my uh, my lyrical journey. Wow, that's
0: that's pretty fascinating.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting.
0: It's funny, you know, we've had a pretty wide array of guests, and you have people that they're, you know, their inspiration or that kind of like, you know, core spark to start doing something. It it varies, you know. And we we had one J Two Brown who was on recently, and he's like, I just it just hit me one day, you know, just Mm -hmm. out of the ether you know, and I was ready to receive it, but I wasn't sitting there looking for it. Yeah. Although, so. although
1: marijuana was part of the equation. <laughs> That's too, correct. So.
0: That is correct. That. Yeah. But I will say too, so it's interesting to hear where you're like, yeah, you know, really that started right. after this almost superstitious, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. supernatural uh, occurrence
2: almost. It did. And, and I'm a believer in that stuff. I don't know. A lot of people scoff at that and they laugh and, I, and, and whether that had anything to do with it or not, is probably not, but,
1: It's a cool story. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's a really cool story. (laughs) Inspired an album, so and even if maybe there is a a factor, maybe even if it's just like a trigger, right? You know, even a placebo effect, yeah, whatever. But it's cool.
0: So, in terms of like honing in, who who is important for you, uh, music-wise? Because, and maybe it's not true of everybody, certainly, but you know, there's always a couple people that you're like, okay, I like, I get this. This is speaking to me. Sure. Who was, who was important for you musically as idols? And, and they don't have to be famous, but um, I am going to imagine that they were.
2: Yeah, um, I've sort of made a giant circle almost because I explored with a couple of EPs and albums. I explored various sounds and Goodnight California, which I did, 2010, was more sort of mainstream pop alternative almost sounding. Mm-hmm. Which, um and and then other things I've done as well, but
0: which you guys can't see, Nate. But he's squinting <laughs> as he says that. You
2: know what's it's really uncomfortable is the fact that I still get so many requests when I go and play shows from certain songs on that record. Mm-hmm. And there's one song in particular. There's a song called Gypsy Girl off Goodnight California. Yeah, and it's my least favorite song I've ever written of like 450 songs. It's <laughs> it's the song that I always said that song sucks. I wish, and people request it, and I think it, it's gotten to the point it's sort of become a comical thing where people do it just to annoy (laughs) me at shows. I'm like, Gypsy Girl! And I just stand there on stage and shake (laughs) my head. Hey, you guys watch this.
0: (laughs) Hey, Nate! (laughs) So Nate... Exactly.
2: So could could you
1: play that one for me? (laughs) It's on my list.
2: (laughs) No, but, you know, starting out, um, and I, I feel like his name is almost cliche to use. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him, but there's a guy named Johnny Cash. And, uh, <laughs> no. He's sort of more of an under-the-radar. Let that Let me Google that and <laughs> yeah. see. Like. Yeah, look him up. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like he influenced me a ton starting out. Because mm. he was one of those few artists that we were almost allowed to listen to growing up. But, mm-hmm. Oh Johnny Cash, you know, he's a, he did some gospel stuff and so he must be all right. You know? <laughs> he, yeah. He came
1: into the prison and helped the prisoners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some spiritual
2: music. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then recently though, in the last, you know, three or four years, I've just sort of immersed myself in his stuff again, both old and, you know, the stuff he did right before his death. Um, in those records, his last, I think the ones he did with Rick Rubin, Rubin, yeah, just, I mean, I just, they're on repeat for me. Just constantly. They're, they're dark, but they're hopeful Mm -hmm. at the same time. And I feel like that's, that's where I try to be um, with a lot of my stuff. Mm
0: -hmm. It's interesting when you think about guys like Cash, and I'm going to throw Springsteen into this too. Yeah. Guys that have, they've built like they're, they're, they're legends, you know, and he was a legend. Cash was certainly in Springsteen and was still putting out works And to do something that good and moving when you're already that legendary, you know, and and people can argue that certainly, you know, twilight years of of different people writing, maybe people don't love some of Springsteen's more recent stuff, but I I mean, he's still putting out amazing work, right? you know, regardless of who you are, you can at least appreciate what he's doing. And I think Cash, another one, to do that record and it be so viscerally moving to hear it, you know, at that age and having already done all those things and not just be Washed up, for lack of a better term, which is not yeah. a not a you know something to put in a sense of the Johnny Cash, but I, but I think I, there's something to that. And I don't yeah. think
1: you can overstate the genius of Rick Rubin to oh. like say we're going to go deep, we're going to go dark, and Cash is like, yeah, let's you're, do you're, it. Yeah, we're yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's a, oh, an dark amazing. You want to go? <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm reading his autobiography right now. Johnny Cash is in, and he talks a little about that does he about working with Rick Rubin and, and some of those things and it's just it's super um, refreshing I think for me as an artist to see even the str- someone on that level right the struggle he went through yeah. with feeling accepted right. validated I mean all these things that I think artists you know on our level battle with at times right um, I think everyone's struggling with yeah up the totem pole and so um it's been a fascinating read i'm only maybe halfway through it right now but mm-hmm. it's been uh, it's been interesting
0: well as much driving as you're doing it's probably not safe to read too much <laughs> <laughs> so i'm glad to hear that you're taking time with it audiobooks
3: okay.
2: yeah there you go <laughs> that although i'm sense. i'm actually reading the physical book of that but man i listen to a ton of audiobooks
0: you know it's All funny right. about that and I, I my friends that are songwriters even artists it's funny how they refuse to do certain books on audio do, it's almost like you see somebody that just wants to do something the old fashioned way, even though there's an easier way to do it. And some books or some authors or just some subject matter you feel like just deserves to be read. Exactly. You know?
2: mm-hmm. Exactly. I feel like I would have listened to that on audio if he had done the Oh the voice. Oh, I was God. gonna
0: say, wouldn't that be amazing? But, but I could hear him lighting cigarettes while he's doing it. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> but as I'm reading it, I'm reading it in my head in Johnny Cash's. Oh, yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> so yeah. you talked about a full circle, so Johnny Cash is in there. It sounds like he was part of that you know that yeah. beginning what phases did you go through
2: oh man well the you know the the grunge thing one of my early bands while I was still in college was more or less sort of a grunge rock
1: mm-hmm. band as terrible as it was um were you doing your own version of grunge or, or were you doing it was a covers stri- no it was all originals all, i was writing i
2: was writing you wouldn't want to hear that stuff um People think some of the stuff I'm putting out now is dark.
1: <laughs> that was, was really dark. Do you have any titles or anything you can throw on um, like?
2: <laughs> you know, the thing was, some of the titles were um, super cheesy. I think I was sort of getting my f-
1: we like feet cheese. under
2: me. We like cheese. <laughs> I remember one we played, it was just called Brand New Day, and it was the cheesiest lyrics. <laughs> um, but, but yeah. My, and were,
0: you, were you singing too? You were the front. I was ear? singing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: you know, trying to do the, you know, the. Eddie Vedder kind of the fry kind of thing fry they call it vocal fry right yeah Yeah, exactly lots of potato chips and cigarettes
0: yeah Yeah. so are you are you working too like are you working during the day you're gigging at night
2: no I was still in college I was um, so I was doing a little bit of I I guess I would have been around maybe 21 20 21 something like that and uh, was doing a little bit of graphic design stuff which I went to school for for a little while so I was doing a little bit of that sort of freelance stuff to make some money and help pay for school and then was do was doing music, doing the band thing more or less for fun. I mean we 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 only gigged a handful of times. Mm-hmm. It was more or less sit around the college and have everybody come to our dorm room and, you know, or wherever and listen to us play versions of the songs and make fun of us and <laughs> things like that. But, so what was
0: like what was what was inspiring you to write then? And was playing out, like, a nice expression of doing that? Or is it more of just, like, it was something fun to do, and you were writing, and that was just writing and doing the material, like, that was the expression?
2: Yeah, I think the the latter, yeah. Cause, b- because, like I said, we only played out a handful of times, and more or less, I was writing at that point to almost, for almost therapy, to journal mm-hmm. myself, as crappy as some of that stuff was, um, it was the best I could do at putting... You know, pen to paper and putting down words, and Mm -hmm. and some of it, you know, was me trying to emulate, you know, whoever Pearl Jam or or whatever. But um, yeah, that 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 was more or less me attempting to just churn words out to ease my emotional angst. (laughs) I guess.
0: Well, and don't feel a need to spare any detail on this next question because this is a really important thing, especially for somebody who's accomplished as much as you have now. That you know, like I said, you're past that forty mark. What was the transition from like what made you to say, all right, I want to do this? Not only do I want to do this, I'm gonna to tour, I'm gonna to go down the road for over a decade. Um, and we'll get into some of your orcs decorations here in a minute, which is, is super impressive stuff, um and warranted. But when when was that shift that I'm gonna do this professionally?
2: Yeah, so I ended up taking the Van Wilder approach to, to college and did about seven years. <laughs> and uh um at that point I was still well, I'm just gonna be open here. I dabbled in a lot of drugs mm-hmm. and a lot of alcohol um through my up to my mid twenties. Um and so it took the long approach to college, mm-hmm. finally finished.
0: Um I didn't know there was another way to do college. I thought <laughs> drugs and all the like were
2: My brother, you know, four years, bam, done, mm-hmm. go achieve <laughs> whatever you you know. Um Whereas with me, you know, it was sort of ah, I might want to do this, I might want to do that. I'm going to be a history major. I'm going to mm-hmm. be an advertising major. I'm going to be a linguistics major. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was all over the map.
0: And your brother's like Nate, and, just graduate and get a job, and you can buy all the drugs you want. No,
2: actually, my brother's a preacher now as well. oh. he followed in my father's footsteps. Um, Apologies, minister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Aaron, if you're listening to this, no, that's not true. Well, well uh, intended, well intended. No, but um. You know, he, he helped me out a lot. Um, he helped me through some dark times, some rough times, some struggles um, with, with, like I said, with the drugs and alcohol and darkness. And um, and so, you know, coming out of that, finally graduated college, I think I was 25.
0: Well, and is some of and, that darkness uh, just that, that – because you're, you're talking about something that a lot of people struggle with that yeah. aren't songwriters, let alone right. people that are. And that is like, what am I supposed to do with this thing? Yes, you know, like, and if you've got a you know a predisposition for an art or a craft that allows you to start to excavate that a little bit, i mean, and you don't have to talk too much about it if you don't want to, but i but I'm interested in some of that darkness because it has turned into such great work sure. was that some of it was just that like not knowing how to articulate or translate what you were feeling or that lack of direction or knowing what to do
2: that was certainly part of it i man, I think it was a complex combination of a lot of different components um my my parents are in town actually they came in town for the fourth and uh they came over to my house the other night and we were sitting around talking and my dad said you know we talked a little bit about my music and my writing and and how i've always been and they were asking me how i'm doing now you know as i've struggled with anxiety and depression for years and um you know, and, and dad made a statement and I thought it was interesting. He's like, you've always been a deep thinker and a contemplative person, even as a little kid. So I remember back, you know, and your brother's joking around, you know, he's the jokester and the, and you always seem to be very deep in thought. Um, and I think that's part of it for me. Mm -hmm. I've always felt deeply and written deeply and processed my emotions on a deep level. And, um, and so, part of it, part of it for me during those days was maybe not knowing what I wanted to do. But it wasn't because I didn't have ideas. It was almost like there were too many things I wanted to do, mm-hmm. and I couldn't decide what was the right thing to do. Right. If that makes sense, yeah, um, it was almost being too overwhelmed. It makes a lot of
1: sense. And I would ven- I would venture to say the drugs probably had a way of destabilizing the, those deep and contemplative urges like, uh, you know, maybe you can get to a, a, overwhelming state. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah. And they did. And they did so. everything did around that, around that time. Uh, the alcohol probably even more honestly. Yeah. Um, cause that's what I, I had an incident. Uh, I was around 24 and I got alcohol poisoning, um, ended up in the hospital and, oh, wow. and, um, my life flashed before my eyes and literally and um it was the weeks and months that followed that incident that i made some life-changing decisions ended up moving back to georgia moved back with my family for a little while Mm -hmm. and uh right around that time rediscovered my faith um came back to my however you want to call it but Mm -hmm. um I feel like God changed my heart, turned my life around in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but not to the degree, or or in a different sense of the way that I was raised, mm-hmm. more the traditional, but giving me an understanding of what grace really is and and um, you know forgiveness right. and things
1: like that. And um, do you feel yeah. like music was a part of that kind of rebirth and restructuring of your? I feel
2: like it's played a part. I feel like it's played a part of pretty much everything from from the time I was, you know, like I said, in middle school until now, it's such an integral part of Mm -hmm. who I am and what I do. And oftentimes it's hard for me to, what I struggle with these days, one of my struggles is separating my identity of who I really am from the musician or the writer. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I'll have friends tell me sometimes, this is not who you are. You know, if you're rejected, you know, if someone writes a negative review or turns you down for this, or that doesn't define you. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just a part of what you do. This is not, and so that's a struggle for me now. I think that that plays into my anxiety.
0: That's really interesting too, because if you think about music and people that are really generally successful at it, and often I'll have friends say, Hey, if you really want to make it, like your songs are great, just, quit your job sell everything go out on the road right <laughs> sure. because that's you've got to really go for it yeah you know and my response to that is generally um I get what you're saying like you got to have the confidence you got to be all in and a lot of the musicians that I see and I love like that they weren't gonna do anything else you know like they were gonna do this you right. know but I think it is an interesting thing for whether it's a business or any calling like that like you've got to generally give everything to it and that is who you are you know yeah. to a degree and that's showing through and everything so I think that's maybe to a healthy degree that you are able to be separate from that. And I think that's really interesting.
2: Yeah. Well, that's what I'm working toward. I'm not there by any means. Um, Cause I feel like for me for years, it was all or nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, until I achieved this and this and this and this, I've never really made it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a success. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it's all these things and it's recently that I'm just trying to really rest in the fact that, you know, I've had so many opportunities to do amazing things and to play fantastic places and meet wonderful people, and I've been very blessed in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And um, to a lot of people, even to a lot of other musicians, they would say, "Wow, he's made it." Whether I feel that way or not, mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to be happy and content in the positive way of being content in my in my current state. So if that makes sense.
0: It does, and I think so. You know, one of the tunes we wanted you to play and, um, and we'd love you to do for us if you will is rambling man, which I think talks a lot about exactly that. Like your, you know, your journey. And I think we have a lot more to cover obviously. And in, in what that journey is, which I'm really excited to, but one of the lyrics you have in there is talking about like, you now have what you dreamed about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it sounds like from the way you phrase it in the song, like being able to be a troubadour for lack of a better term, like you, you are doing music for a living and you're getting to play to audiences and people are finding joy from it. And, um, I think it's interesting that you so say you're still chasing that, but in that song, like there is a, a contentment.
2: Yeah. At least for that moment when I wrote the song. You know, it ebbs and flows. There are days where I'm like, screw this, you know. <laughs> you know, how come I can't get any respect or you know, why do I feel so, you know, you know, disrespected or undervalued by this person or that group or this platform or, you know, whatever it is. Um and then I have to sit back and remind myself maybe that's just not in the cards for me. And that, once again, that doesn't define who I am or the value that I bring or what I've done. And I think that that goes for everyone. Um, you know, I, I at least for us people that are super driven, um, we'll never meet our own expectations or our own goal. You know, we're always going to have lofty, unachievable, unattainable goals. And, um, but it's the beauty just, of
1: that is that you you start hitting these marks along the way, and really it, big achievements. You know what I mean? Or part right. or part of that ultimate goal. Yep. You know, yeah. so maybe that's what it takes to. Yeah. For you to approach that goal is to you know hit those marks, hit those yeah those milestones along the way. Yeah.
0: Well, yeah. and I hear a little bit of the to your point, like yeah, you, you, there's still a whole road out there you want to tread. Yeah. But sure. you there's almost a a comfortable turning around and looking back at these moments that you you intentionally held on to and put in your pocket and, and there's some, you know, uh, gratification, I guess for lack of a better term, or just appreciation for the road and, and yeah. almost looking back on it fondly in this song. At the same time looking ahead saying something, you know, Ned mentioned it earlier about, you know, almost longing to have like, should I have thrown down roots and raised a son? Like, should I have a family at this point? I'm forty right. and you know i've been on the road for 12 years so i talk a little bit about that with this tune
2: yeah i mean that's and that's one of the things i've battled with and struggled with over and over throughout the last you know 12 or 13 years is um i've had a couple of failed relationships that i mean ultimately failed because of the road mm-hmm. i mean there's no other way around it mm-hmm. um they just one in particular was dating a girl I was actually good friends with first I had known for years. And we started dating in Atlanta and, um, literally it got to the point after about nine or 10 months where she was like, I can't handle this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you being out on the road for months at a time. And then when we do talk, it's rushed. You're dealing with this person, you're driving, you know, it became too much for her. And at that point it was like, what do I do? You know, it's, this is in my DNA. Mm-hmm. Um, I could slow down a little, but I can't stop. And, um,
0: and plus I need new material. So, <laughs> <laughs> so please break my heart. So write a song.
2: <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's always been a struggle for me. And, and I allude to that in this song as well. And, um, I think I mentioned at the outset, this, this song is super biographical. Um, it just sort of lays out in a linear line my life over the last decade. And um and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little more, but there's a line in the song we're will talk about where I mentioned moving my wheels here and there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I lived in an R V for four years at one point. Um and just literally was sleeping in rest areas and Walmart parking lots and and uh and so <laughs> I was quite literally moving my wheels from place to place and that was home for the night or the week. And um as crazy as that was and as you know weird as some of the, the times were in that thing. And the moments where I was like, I've got to get out of this thing. I can't handle that. <laughs> I look back on it super fondly and right. I'll always have memories of, of Max and I, my dog, living in that twenty eight foot metal box for for four years mm-hmm. and all the places that we that we went and
1: well you've earned the earned the title of Ramblin' Man. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 So you you want to play that one for us? Sure.
2: Sure.
3: I'm just a rambling man Old guitar in my hand Making my way slowly west Lost a card game in Reno Thelter Casino My heart down in Los Angeles And I'm just a rambling man And don't make too many plans Got a wanderer's heart in my chest So drive through the desert To the Indio sunset Where I play for the sky overhead But I used to have dreams about being a star Playing for the bright lights of my electric guitar But passion alone, it don't get you too far Just y'all watch for me but I'm just a rambling man Moving across this land Turning my wheels here and there Too old for the surfers Too young for the snowbirds I settled in the South Florida air But I used to have dreams About loving someone Growing some roots And raising a son But dreams start to fade Like the flickering sun Will you wait for me? But I used to have dreams about doing They're making people smile with my guitar while I sing. Now that I realize I have what I dreamed, I died a lucky man. But I'm just a rambling man, moving across this land, looking for a place to call home. From the New Orleans fountains To the North Georgia mountains I can feel the south Deep in my bones And I'm just a restless man Toes buried in the sand Watching the waves ride on by But I hope to one day leave But if I get no reprieve The gulf It's where this rambler
1: will die. That was great. Yeah, dude. That was awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. That's great. Um, Not that you can analyze these things all the time, but I kind of like how the the logic of, I think it's a second verse, you're talking about dreams of someday having a son. And then I like how it's kind of, Unexpected and almost disjointed, but the last line is like, "Will you wait for me?" Like it just, yeah, it just comes out of nowhere. But it's also just straight from the heart. Is like, I guess what I'm getting at is like, (laughs) is she still out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one little line, just the way it's dropped in there. It's like, yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's that song is
2: very uh, obviously linear autobiographical mm-hmm. sketch, more yeah. or less, you yeah. know, of the last decade. Um, from Reno and California to the South to, you know, living on the road to moving here to Florida.
0: So yeah. That's kinda- and now, a quick interlude about one of the companies supporting this podcast. Ed, I think we can both agree that the best tasting songs are those that happen naturally.
1: That's true. Wait, you can't really taste a song, though. That part's not.
0: That's also true of the food we choose to consume, which is why our favorite new artist on the healthy protein charts is ButcherBox. 100% grass-fed beef delivered on dry ice to your door anywhere in the lower 48. So
1: does that make Alaska like the upper... Just open the box.
0: If you're into more genres than just beef, ButcherBox has you covered. They also deliver Alaskan wild sockeye salmon, free-range organic chicken...
1: Wow, there's got to be like 11 pounds of meat in here.
0: Heritage Breed Pork, and Special Bacon. Special Bacon? Special, because it's free. Use code SONGDIVERS at checkout to get $20 off and free bacon in your first Butcher Box. And shipping's free, too.
1: Special Bacon and special shipping. That's special.
0: Now, can you grill as well as you can play guitar? Visit ButcherBox.com to order. So... You know, in that in that song that you mentioned is very biographical. So you've been on the road for what twelve years? More than that?
2: Yeah, that's it's been. Well, let me think. I I started touring regionally in North Georgia in two thousand seven. Okay, two thousand six is when I started playing just locally. Two thousand five or six, and then seven is when I started touring regionally. So it's been it's been about twelve years.
0: And, and in in 07, yeah. are you in your head at that point? You said, and again, I would love to hear about the catalyst of all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. This is what I want to do. I have a calling for this. I'm willing to live in an RV for four years because I'm chasing this ability to be on the road playing music. What mm-hmm. what was that transition? And talk a little bit too about um, did you sign? to a management group where you booking everything on your own, like talk a little bit about that time. Cause that can be really tumultuous for a lot of artists. Yeah.
2: Yeah. For me, it was small steps. It was lots of small steps. So, in um, with a couple of big steps thrown in there. And one of those was quitting my, my full-time job in Oh seven. Um, I had graduating in Oh four. I had worked at a, um, an interactive marketing agency in Atlanta for, for about two and a half years. I was an art director and I had a good paying job, had, Bought a house in 05, you know, was doing the, you know, commute in the... corporate world, mm-hmm. you know, successful type thing. And then in 05, late 05, early 06, started playing just around the area a little bit, played a couple of local coffee houses. And then, um, and then early 07, did uh, just started doing some regional touring and then did one out of town tour for like two and two and a half weeks, went up the East Coast and I came back and I was like, I got to do this. I got to, I got to really do this. And, and and at the time I'd built a few freelance design clients and I was like, I think I can make this work between these freelance clients playing music. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to take a chance. Meanwhile, things had gotten super stressful at the agency. Mm -hmm. And so literally one day walked into my boss's office and was like, I'm done and you're going to have to find someone else. And, he was like what do you, you done done what <laughs> look surprised what
0: what is it that you've done? yeah, what did you finish <laughs>
2: and uh and i said well i i'm gonna I'm gonna be you know getting out of here in two weeks, you know and um he rocked back in his chair, I remember and he and he goes, uh it's not the music stuff is it and And I said, uh yeah, I'm gonna make a go at it and he laughed at me and he and he said, Man, you're an idiot to give up this for that." You're a fool, essentially. And um, I remember i remember feeling nervous but relieved mm-hmm. when I left. It was almost like, here's a new chapter. And that was one of those big moments for me. Was were you nervous because decisions. you
0: just beat the shit out of him? And then you were relieved <laughs> because you walked out and no one...
2: <laughs> no, no, no. And, you know, and we stayed friends, actually. We hung out a few times and... and um, but i was nervous striking out on my own
0: right and oh, i'd yeah. had this
2: sure. this this income coming in all of a sudden it was well what am i going to do i'm
0: that's terrifying yeah yeah
2: um but it was relieving knowing that it's a new chapter i'm not going to be under the stress it's a different kind of stress now mm-hmm. um and so i struck out on my own and um you know small steps from there i would say in in 08 is when i started um, well, oh seven, I put out sort of my last self-released, low-budget album, um, and then in oh eight started working on an EP in Raleigh. Went up there for a few months. I released that in oh nine, and then really started to, to tour, um, pretty heavy.
0: So, what you're talking about a lot now is lifestyle yep. and stressors, different stress, you stress, but. I'm interested, like, what's the feedback loop? Because you did these little mini tours and you did a two-week stint. Was there something on that tour that was like, wow, this was amazing, like that was really meaningful, and, and you're getting that feedback loop. And the same thing we're recording, I'm interested, what is your – who's supporting you, who's yeah. encouraging you at this time?
2: Man, that's a that's a, an interesting question because I look back on the stuff I was doing in 07, 08, even 09, and I'm like, man, that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> like, did I really put that out, like, or, you know – but I think just enough people liked it or mm-hmm. supported it or, mm-hmm. you know, bought a record or a t shirt or whatever it was. Um that it kept me going. And and in the back of my mind I always kept thinking, well I can do a little bit better than that. Mm-hmm. I can write a better song than that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna up that. And then I'd put out more stuff and it's I can do better than that. I can write a better song than that. I'm gonna do another album. And that's sort of what drove me for for a decade. Um
0: and were you getting financing? Were you signed to a label? Or were you, you funding everything yourself at that point?
2: I was funding pretty much everything myself.
0: So you're grinding.
2: I was grinding. Um, I did have some good design clients. I've done design work on and off. Um, and at times pretty heavy to pay the bills. Yeah, that's great. Um, over the last 12, 13 years. But um, I'm trying to think. It was, in, it was in 2010 I did sign with a little indie label in Atlanta. And sort of became part of that family and that team. Um, along with four or five other artists, um, that we did some touring together and became friends and did some you know projects together, things like that. Um, and then in two thousand two thousand eight to two thousand twelve, I would say I toured almost exclusively as a full band as well. Oh, so cool! I, so I had put together a band, a group of guys,
0: a lot more mouths um, to feed,
2: a lot more mouths to feed, and everyone was super generous in that all these guys had either full or semi full time jobs so it was well whatever you bring in for the show just split it with us even if it's only you know 50 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever it is and we'll play we just want to play we believe in what you're doing and and so to this day I'm still friends with all those dudes mm-hmm. and it was just some super great friendships and connections came out of that and uh it wasn't until 2000 Really 2012, 11 to 12, that I started doing a lot of solo stuff. Um, I did do a couple of, like, weekly showcase-type things in Atlanta where I would play at the same spot for months at a time every week. That was solo Mm -hmm. in 2008, 9, 10. But 2011 and 12 is when I really struck out on my own by myself with the dog and just started doing, like... Months on in,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I
2: do. I did three or four runs of like three plus months where it was 70 shows and 80 nights, kind of thing. And how are just, you
0: sourcing uh, venues? Like, how are you knowing where to go and reach out?
2: Man, just like you say, grinding.
0: <laughs> uh, lots
2: of um, talking
0: to other artists you play with. Lots and... of
2: talking to other artists, yeah. reaching out to people in different communities. Hey, where should I play here? Someone want to host me at your house? Somebody want to host me at your church, at your school? Anywhere, You know, I was playing. I'll play for free. If you (laughs) you can get 10 people there that'll listen and let me sell a few CDs, I'll just play for an hour. And and, and I did a lot of that Mm -hmm. um, in in those early years. And how how important um, do you think those types of gigs were? I think they were super important because I developed some relationships that turned into other relationships that led to bigger and bigger things. Um, And people that I'm still friends with to this day. And that have still helped me and supported me to this day. I mean, people I met 10, 12 years ago on the road that saw me at a free show. um, I think about a dude. I played maybe like 2011, 2010. Played this little coffee house in Knoxville, Tennessee. And this dude was there, happened to be listening. Mm -hmm. And no one else in the place was listening. It was all, you know, one of the, the chatty coffee shops. Those
0: are tough.
2: It was super tough. This one guy, I saw him, he's locked in. He's hanging on every word. And he came up and he's like, I want to buy a CD. He bought a CD. A year later, reached out to me. Hey, I want to book you for this thing in Knoxville. And we became friends. And he, I mean, he got me in the door at two or three different venues in Knoxville over the next four or five years. There you go. That never would have happened had I not played that little, that little coffee shop.
0: It's amazing that how that stuff works, isn't it?
2: Yeah. You know, and people are, people are generous. Obviously not everyone, but there's a lot of people out there that, I owe my limited amount of success to so many people. It's um, I could spend the next two hours just thanking people and would, wouldn't get through a fraction of them. Uh-huh. That's how I feel.
0: But but not everybody would remember or even think to do that and recognize that either. Which is probably why those people you had something resonating with them, you know. And I don't want to speak for them, but I can take a guess. I hope so. I hope so. I I think so too. Yeah. So. Talk about, now you're rolling in the 2000s, here, mid-2000s, so you start to really have some things change around, what, 2012, 13, 14, you start mm-hmm. to get recognition for awards, yep. um, you're starting to get picked up, and songs are starting to show up in, soundtracks. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? How did that come about? Did somebody find you? Were you seeking that? And what was that period like? And, and was there a change in your writing when that was starting to happen, that you noticed that you thought all of a sudden this was really resonating?
2: yeah um once again, small steps. you know, I can't think back to anything major where it was like this one connection or this one group or whatever reached out and and boom, there was a bunch of success. Um, I think it was just lots of super small steps. Um, I think back, you know, 2012 is when I started working on the Pilgrim album. Yeah. I completely changed course. Like, I mean, it went from this alternative radio friendly record to, like you said, a study in history and theology in a very folksy way, um, which was the complete opposite of the previous stuff. Um, and so, with that, I think I, uh, I built a new, almost a new following. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did in the meantime was I frustrated some people as well because some people loved Goodnight, California. <laughs> and then for the next two or three albums, it was, hey, when are you going to do something like Goodnight, California? When are you going to you do know? And then when The Pilgrim came out, the following records were different. It's, when are you going to do something like The Pilgrim? And so we have got all these people that are, hey, I'm not happy with what you're doing now. Do something like this album or these, you know. And that's become a that's become a that's that's a rabbit trail.
0: I'm well, but that's down, a really but. interesting thing there too. I'm interested what you guys think about this. So John Mayer is a guy that when you talk about that comes to mind for me. In that you know he did the super bubblegum pop stuff to start, mm-hmm. and then he goes out and plays a bunch of shows, and he's a guitar virtuoso. And then he sort of you know people started to just trust that he was this certain level of musician, and they knew enough of his stuff, and I think he probably did. Alienate, and you know, I haven't dug super deep into this, so you know if I'm not off base, but I, he probably did alienate some people. for the most part, he kept his audience, and people mm-hmm. just kept, and you know, going along for the ride with him. And he did a blues three piece, and then just he's going, you know, now he's out with the dead. So it's really interesting how some people want to you to stick true to what they fell in love with you over, right? And they can't change with you. And it's not true of everybody, but it is of some. And then you have others, and, and I feel like Mayer is a good example of that, where people are just like. Screw it man we're along for the ride with you. We trust what you're doing. just yeah. you know, just keep driving and'll we'll, we'll try and stick around for it you know Well to me, on the other side though, on the flip side, to me,
1: it I almost see a line of demarcation there, which you see in certain artists that are at that point in their development where good goodnight, California is more like a I don't mean this in a derogatory way, it's more like a product that you've right. crafted. And it's a good product, but then you're in with the Pilgrim, you're kind of moving more into a pure expression, Mm -hmm. like more of your finding your voice almost, even though it wasn't autobiographical. Right. To me, it's almost like you're, yeah, you're developing an artistic voice that's, you know, although some of it was uh some of
2: the Pilgrim even is autobiographical. Some of the songs certainly were, were born out of my own experience. It's where my heart was at that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, I tried to pour into some of those tunes. But I thought it was interesting what you said about John Mayer. Um, because I look, I look at my fan base and I look at the people that have followed me for specific albums or songs mm-hmm. versus people that have almost blindly followed anything I've ever put out. Mm-hmm. And I think what resonates with those folks, the difference, is that people, they latch on to an idea or a a mode or a method of recording, or a music style, and that's what they like about certain songs or albums. Whereas this fam this hardcore fan base or tribe over here that are going to follow you to the ends of the earth, they've latched onto my my spirit. Mm-hmm. Like right? They know where the lyrics are coming from, and as diverse as maybe some of the songs are or the styles are, they can feel. Mm-hmm the emotion and the, and the pain and the, you know, the satisfaction, all the things that come through with the lyrics. Um, and I think that's the difference between those two audiences.
0: Do any of them ever switch sides? Do you have anybody in that comfortable, that auditory criteria of comfort that they're like, yeah, Nate fits the bill for what I want to hear, you know, <laughs> versus the people that are like, dude, you're feeling, or you're speaking my truth and you're saying something that's making me feel like I'm allowed to be alive still. Or feel the way I feel because you're saying something that's validating this feeling. Right. Um, and one of our previous guys, Andrew Duhon, is a guy who had been that yeah. for me so heavily. Yep. Um, where, we, you know, similar ages, we'd gone through a lot of different experiences, yep. never met the guy. But the stuff he was saying was like, oh my God, good, I'm not the only person, you know. He's- and so I think it's interesting about those audiences, but do you ever have anybody lash on to something later or come back to a song they didn't like at first and go, wait, no, actually, I, I really like this.
2: Yeah, that's definitely happened. I don't know if it's possible for people to switch sides, um, mm-hmm. at least on a super deep level, because I think, and there's nothing wrong with it, but there's people that like what they like, mm-hmm. and if you're not meeting those needs for them, it's on to the next thing. Um,
0: well, I mean, look, the, you know, the heart wants what it wants, right? And I'd say right. the same is probably true for musical taste, um, and whether that be the melodies or the lyrics that are that are doing that for you, and yep. I, you know. To, not to segue off of that heart on the run, something on your new album. Yeah. Um, that is a little bit also talking about what, you know, the heart wanting, what it wants. Right. Um, so as you're transitioning and now you're at, you know, you've gone through a little bit of this phasing and you've done the pilgrim and you start to go through, do, um, madman and the poet. And then you get to ashes and earth. So talk a little bit, like catch us up to that process. Sure. Get us up to ashes and earth, but also talk a little bit about, we want to hear about these awards, man. These are impressive. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah, so so it was during my um, the production recording of the Pilgrim that I first moved into the RV, and I was in the RV for the release of the Pilgrim and that that touring. Then you and I are Ghost, which came out in two thousand fourteen, and then even Madman and the Poet, uh, which came out in two thousand sixteen. So so all those records, I was in the RV touring, and um, I would say those were the super heavy touring years uh, from like two thousand thirteen through seventeen.
0: Give us an idea how many shows a year.
2: Um probably roughly a hundred shows a year, maybe okay. maybe a little more. Uh-huh. But the the thing it's it's not like the same a show in the same city on back to back nights. It's like, you know, Hauling tail from Austin, Texas to Santa Fe. And then Santa Fe to LA. You know, LA to Portland. You know, it was just all over the place. Ridiculous. Ridiculous amounts of traveling. I remember at one point we did I was touring as a three piece, this is for the Pilgrim, and uh, we did 17 nights in a row. And uh, that was from Northern California to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And I remember about halfway through that stretch, we'd done eight or nine nights in a row, and we played Phoenix, and it was like 130 degrees. It was ridiculous. We couldn't keep the air on in the RV, it kept tripping the the circuit. And Max looked like he's about to die. Poor dudes laying on the floor, and uh, and the band they're like, "We're hanging out in the venue. We can't even, you know, be in this thing." And we finished playing. It's about 11 p.m., and I'm like, "Well, we, you know, we got to hit the road because we're playing in Amarillo tomorrow night." And uh, they're like, "How far is Amarillo?" And I'm like, "You know, it's like it's like six or seven hours. We find <laughs> it's like 11 or 12 hours <laughs> from Phoenix to Amarillo." <laughs> and we hit the road with no AC. Just hit Taco Bell. Just hit something. Because you wouldn't want to be in that RV right. at certain times. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we pulled into Amarillo an hour before the show, having oh. driven almost all the way through the night. Because we oh lost God. an hour as well, the time yep. zones. And uh, I remember just, just dripping sweat and being exhausted. Literally like 10 cups of coffee in. The room kind of
1: wobbling in front the of your room, eyes, like and,
2: and one of the guys going, "Is this worth it?" And I go, "It will be. <laughs> it will be worth it." Um, but we, man, we played. We played a lot of shows. We did a lot of, a lot of driving, a lot of touring. Um, but yeah, um, so making that transition though, it, right after the Men and the Poet came out, we did a three-month tour run for that record, mm-hmm. and it was that fall. It Was the fall of sixteen. That I said, I'm in need of a break. And uh and I came to Florida. I came to the Tampa Bay area. My brother lives, he's been here about ten or eleven years. I was years. gonna ask how you picked it, yeah. Yep. My brother. I talked me into to moving down. But yeah, so getting off the road though. Like I, I think it was right after that. I, I took about a year and didn't play at all. Um and just needed downtime, needed to decompress. Um, but was right continuing to write. And I think being off the road um i'd sort of romanticize as much as i'd romanticize being on the road i'd romanticized being off the road and getting <laughs> a real place again and mm-hmm. having a bed and a shower and all those things and ac and ac working ac and and max you know, is like yeah and poor max <laughs> yeah. yeah um but in those in those months that followed i think i realized how much i missed how much it was a part of me Traveling mm-hmm. and being in places and, and, you know, being in different cities and stages. And, and uh, I got pretty depressed. Mm. And so a lot of Ashes and Earth, which is the newest album that just came out back in April, um, was really born out of almost a reflection of, hey, here's the last decade. Has it been worth it or has it not been worth it? Mm-hmm. Um, and still trying to weigh that
0: and figure it out. And, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's sort of where I am now. So in that time, and I'm curious which album, especially these, were coming from. But you know, it, over the last five years, you've won five international music and entertainment awards, uh, songwriter of the year twice uh, for Indie Music Awards, and then you won the Georgia Music Award. But I think what's also really notable, especially, we spend a lot of time thinking about marketability and how people are finding you. But I mean, you, you've had albums reach the top twenty charts on iTunes. So, a, how is that happening? What do you? What are you? What's happening? Are you? Are you working with people or market? Is it just the songs? The staying power of a song is, is finding its way. And, um, you know, talk a little bit about that recognition and what that's been like.
2: Honestly, I think that's my twenty plus family members all going and buying the record on iTunes <laughs> like a hundred plus times.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, honestly, I you know I, I feel very blessed, um, about the award to win the awards and um super unexpected most of them um you know what, what can I say about the I mean it just it, it's that's a blessing and um well
0: let me ask you this was there a specific song that that sought you know got recognition that you were super proud of and and it meant that much more to you validating what you'd done
2: yeah you know um so off of you and I are ghost which um was an album I put out in or 2014 um it was one of the with um it was a record I put zero money into or zero connections into in terms of marketing, PR. I didn't hire a publicist. I'd stopped working with a booking agent.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I did nothing with that record except tour. So it was good
0: because it was good. <laughs> Just
2: to, Well, hopefully. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you know. I think there were a few songs on it. But one song in particular. <laughs> there was a song called Take It Home off that album. And um, I think that was this, that song actually got quite a bit of radio play. And that was just through people calling in and requesting it at their local station. Um, it wasn't through a promoter or anything like that. How
0: about the good old fashioned? You uh, play a yeah. town, somebody hears yeah. your song, and uh. then somebody asks for it. Hey, play this on the could radio. Still happen? No payola or anything. Like no. Good for you, man. <laughs> I mean, a, that, a that's an accomplishment yeah. in itself.
2: Uh, man, I appreciate that. I, I think that song—that song in particular. There, there's been a few here and there, but that song actually won my first international music and entertainment award. It Won for for song of the year. Um, or folk song of the year, I should say, um, and uh but that 's just one of those instances where it was it was people just lifting me up, you know mm-hmm. you know hey i 'm what what can I do i 'm gonna call in and request it i 'm gonna post it on my social media i'm you know do what I can, and it was me crying for help a little bit and saying, hey i 'm not doing anything with this record you know i't I'm not working with anybody this is up to you guys help me get it out there absolutely and and, um and so that was the first year i believe to yeah 2014 that was the first year i won any award um and it was those international music and entertainment awards um for songwriter of the year for take it home for folk song of the year um and then there was one other one as well
0: well belated Um, congrats i mean yeah yeah. Oh man, super impressive Mm -hmm. stuff thank you so you. you're up you're up to ashes and earth now up and, to ashes and earth and that's been out for how long it's
2: been out since april so oh what about three months now that that's been that's been out and
0: and you're out touring or about to go back out and tour i did a little record. bit
2: of touring right when it first came out or right before it came out um back in march and april and then i go back out in september and i'm out for a couple months september and october
0: so you are hard on the run. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah 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 um I feel like I've slowed down so much. You know, the whole summer I'm just sitting around and,
0: you know. Are you antsy or are you happy? Both at the, the same, same time. <laughs> Does that make yeah. sense? I'm hap- possible, happily antsy.
2: <laughs> happily antsy. Yeah. Well, you I'm to, looking forward to the fall.
1: You talked about how that record is kind of like a, a reflection on the past decade of, of your life and how it's things that you had and things you appreciated and things that you lost and... Um, Like, talk about hard on the run. Like, isn't that's one of the tunes? that yeah, you're kind of looking back and thinking, this is what I kind of gave up. Yeah, is that accurate?
0: We're edging up to that too because we really like that one. That's a good one. Thank
1: you. Thank yeah. Yeah. That's the music video I put out for
2: this album uh, was for hard on the run, and um, it was a song I wrote a couple years ago. Um, So I I carried on a, a relationship. I've had a few what I would call significant relationships in my life. And, um, and the first one of those was a girl that I met years ago. I did an overseas program and, um, met this girl in Israel, a summer in Israel. And, um, we, we dated for the summer, had a relationship. And Is then, she an
1: Israeli girl. Like, she, was she was not, Israel? she was an American okay. girl over there. Another, uh, studying well. abroad. Okay. Yep. yep.
2: And, um, she, uh, we connected and, um, you know dated had a relationship whatever you want to call it you know when you're young i mean we were i was 19 and um i uh was in love with her and um one thing led to another we lost touch we got separated different circumstances reconnected about 10 years later oh wow and uh and she had a choice between a guy she was engaged to or me who had spent <laughs> a, a decade trying to find her. And uh, and she chose the fiancé. Uh-huh. Um, although, come to find out, another seven or eight years after that, um, I won't go too much into it, but things did not work out between them. Mm. He l- left her in shambles to a degree. Mm. And um, it had been a very, very difficult decision and one that she had pondered all the way up to her wedding day. Ugh. Um, and so looking back on that that entire situation from 20 years earlier, 10 years earlier, um, that's where "Hard on the Run" was wow. was born out of. Wow! Oh
0: my gosh! Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's hear that one. Okay.
3: I left home at 17 To find my way in the world And who I was meant to be Somehow all these places Took the better part of me Till I met you I had given my best years Held your broken heart Through my blood and tears The lies that we all tell ourselves Haunt us through our fears Of the truth But if the world should end tonight I'd want you by my side Just for one more chance to take All of my heartbreak and all I've done Hard on the run I got tired of the West I got tired of only giving second best trying to find a way to get the world above my chest without you but if the world should end Tonight, I'd want you by my side just for one more chance to take all of this heartbreak and wrong I've done. from my heart on the run through the years of dust and dirt, the loneliness. It's the truth that I see stretched for miles and There's only one thing that i found that will last It's the look that I see in your eyes If the world should end tonight I'd want you by my side just for one more chance to take All of my heartbreak and wrong I've done From a heart on the run I know you're gonna take All of this heartbreak and wrong I've done From this heart on run
0: Thank you. So thank you very much. So, for the end of the story, is she doing all right?
2: At least she's doing all right. Yeah, Yeah. she has a she has a daughter, um, who I believe now is around eight or nine, and um, they actually live in Tampa.
3: Oh no! Oh wow! Are you
2: serious? That's awesome. So we see each other occasionally. Um, She is she is married now. Um. So again, out for to an, to an, to, an, not the same person. Is this um, the
1: father of her daughter? Though?
2: No, this is not um, the other. The other, other was the father, but um, okay. but she's doing very well, mm-hmm. and um, we do keep in touch. We talk um, sometimes, and um, I'm happy for her. That's great, man. and um, yeah. glad that life turned out good for her.
0: Good. Well, speaking of things turning out good, we're going to hit you with some quicker ones here that we usually uh, like to ask a couple people. First yeah. one, uh, favorite gig you've ever played? Oh, my gosh. Wow. You
2: know what? I'm just going to go with the first one that came to mind yeah, as that's... soon as you ask me that. Um, 2014. End of 2000. It was December 2014. Uh, Butch Walker. I don't know okay. if you know Butch Walker. Um, he, uh, he's an Atlanta guy and I am more of a producer nowadays than an artist but he uh, he asked me to open a show for him in Atlanta and uh, it was at Center Stage sold out and his Christmas, sold out Christmas show and so I opened and then he played and um, had some friends come out and, uh, and then he called me on stage at the end we did some Christmas songs and that was the first first gig that popped into my head it was just it was an amazing night yeah it sounds special yeah that's cool It was really cool it's funny in
0: the last three interviews that's the second person that's named a christmas themed favorite gig really yeah rebecca pulley we just had on a couple weeks ago and she uh she had a christmas gig that's that's interesting yeah so how about the other one we always ask is what's your dream gig something you haven't maybe done yet maybe it's a venue maybe it's somebody you want to play with what what do you sit back at night and just like that's the next that would be cool yeah um. Yeah, man,
2: that is a. There's different ones for sure. Um, I feel like as far as venues go, a venue I've always wanted to play and I've never had the opportunity to play Hollywood Bowl. Oh, wow! LA. Yeah, it yeah. just it's just such an iconic, <laughs> cool outdoor space. It is um, iconic. Yeah, absolutely. That um, I feel like that would be a a fantastic um sort of dream come true venue. Um, and then artists. You know, some of the ones that come to my mind have already passed, so it it, it wouldn't be possible. But um,
1: until later,
2: until later, till till much later, hopefully, that great gig in the sky. <laughs> um, I got asked, I got inquired about opening for Willie Nelson oh, um, oh my three or four years ago in Atlanta, uh-huh. and it didn't work out, and it was such a bummer, such a letdown. Oh, man. I feel like that would have been that's the one, you know, yeah. an ultimate. Um,
0: well, Nate, I don't want to rub it in, but we yeah. were the opener to the opener for Willie Nelson when he came and played no. with Eckhart Hall. <laughs> you know? We weren't on the same stage. And the thing about Willie Nelson shows, if you've ever been to any, literally everyone in the crowd, for the most part, looks like Willie Nelson. And you <laughs> don't know true. whether they're male or female because they all have pigtails. <laughs> That's true. They all have <laughs> Denim cut off. Anyway, it was an awesome show. It was amazing. Uh, um, but uh, but yeah, I hate to rub that in. You know, you know what? Rule.
2: Darn it! I'm gonna I'm gonna be.
0: No, you know what? We were outside. We couldn't even see the real stage. No.
2: Yeah. Oh, you were outside. Out he's, to... he's
1: bending the rules a little bit.
2: That's still. Here. I mean, that still counts. I feel like that counts. I
0: appreciate that. I was busting your balls, fully open. there But I appreciate that. I, if
2: that had been me, I definitely would be telling people I open. <laughs> Good. For we're a gonna cut else. that
0: part out. <laughs> yeah, just go with it. <laughs> So let me ask you this question, then, from a songwriting perspective. Um, It's a good segue off of it. Are you a, and we we tally this almost every episode. We didn't initially set out to do this, but it's starting to become a thing. Are you a title first, a lyrics first, or a music first writer?
2: Mm, That's a good question. Um, Eight times out of ten, I would say I am a music first. I'm a melody first writer. And then I'll have different things in my head that I've been stewing over or written down in a journal in terms of just lyrical ideas, maybe like a line here or there, mm-hmm. um, just a thought, a subject, whatever it is. But most of the time I would say I come up with a melody first, mm-hmm. then I put the lyrics to it, and then a title to it. Yeah, Occasionally it might be lyrics or title, rare, rarely title, but there have been a
1: few. We used to just ask, are you a lyrics first or music first writer? But so many people came back with, actually, title first.
0: That's interesting. So now we're
1: asking, like, title first.
0: Yeah, isn't that interesting? And so I'm a a huge Isabel fan, but Dawes, Taylor Goldsmith, is one of my absolute favorites. And it's funny, the first time somebody answered title first, the next day on his Instagram, he posted, like, you know, a journal page where he'd just written out a bunch of titles. I'm like, Mm -hmm. son of a... (laughs) <laughs>
3: interesting. Yeah,
0: it was super really... coincidental that it happened to be literally the next day. But
1: then, when once once we started hearing that and hearing people talk about why title first, it's because you have a title. You sort of have the framework of a story built into the title. The t- yeah, that makes the, sense. Or the suggestion of a story. And uh, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting.
0: Well, and I think it depends on what the impetus for what you're writing is, right? Because you right, talked sure. a lot about the catharsis of writing, mm-hmm. and yep. for a lot of people, that's it. But then there's that workshop writing, you know, where you're like, you just, you feel like writing and you enjoy the process of it and you do, you set a prompt, you know, and I think a title can be like that or it could be both, right? A title yeah. is a thought and a feeling that you can only really encapsulate briefly at the moment and yeah. then eventually you can expound on it. But, right. but yeah, it's been really fascinating to, to kind of go through and understand that process for people for sure. That
2: is really, the Pilgrim album for me, a lot of the songs were title first. Because I knew sense. what I wanted to write about, right. what came mm-hmm. next in the story, or whatever. So mm-hmm. I had a title in mind. But uh, it's, that's the only record I've done that was primarily like that. Mm-hmm.
0: that so makes now, sense. Tell us about what you have coming up, man. What comp- I know you're going back out on tour. What do you got planned? What do you got coming up? Where should people go look for you?
2: Yeah, um, I'm going back out on the road in September. I'll be uh, starting in the Atlanta area. I've got a couple of Georgia shows. And then... Um, And then I head west. I've got right now three Texas shows, trying to add a fourth. Um, And then I'll be heading. um, Trying to think. I'm trying to think of them all. I'll be in Kentucky, um, Chicago, a couple of Michigan shows, and then back down to Georgia for a couple more shows there. And then possibly trying to add in a few more dates. Trying to maybe add on a Nashville gig, um, maybe in a Birmingham show. Um. So, when, look, when look for me through the central and the, out to Texas.
1: Then <laughs> you're gonna do anything when you get back home to Florida? Like,
0: uh... you have any favorite venues here too?
2: You know what? Locally, um, the Hideaway is in in St. Pete is uh, where I have probably say. played my last yeah. six or eight local shows. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of hard so to beat. Yeah, yeah. It is hard to beat. Yeah. yeah.
0: And we should say there are some. Th- that's saying something. Be- the Hideaway is great. And we've, we've talked about it on other shows. A lot of artists bring it up. But we have a lot of great venues here, sure, too. Sure we so do. So it is yeah. saying something of... That is true. Of yeah. the, I mean, like, the Attic's a great spot. Yeah. Um, yep. We have some really great big venues between Ruth Eckert and Mahaffey and... has the Palladium, both the side door and the theater. I mean, there are some great venues here in yeah. their own right. So it is That's especially true. saying something that, that sure. the Hideaway is so well-revered and loved.
2: Mm-hmm. And I haven't lived here long enough to, to maybe be super familiar with a lot of those venues... Um, but but there have been a few that I've been to that I've been very impressed with. Haven't necessarily played, but you know, like like Ruth Eckert, you know, mm-hmm. been there for a couple shows, and it seems like a, a fantastic venue. But but yeah, the Hideaway John's always been super um, super kind and accommodating and. Yeah, John um, Kelly,
0: yeah, runs a great I think
1: spot. Yeah. It makes a difference that he's a singer-songwriter himself. Yeah. Like, he's, yeah. he's got the right
0: perspective. I mean. and, and But so. that it's not about him being a singer-songwriter. No, no, you know? no. No, no, no but, I know yeah, you're not saying yeah, that, but, yeah. but I think that that is really important, that it's mm-hmm. so much about him appreciating and celebrating it because he himself, to Ed's point, can appreciate right. it so much. Right. I think, too, and, and this, is, this is interesting, too, because this is how we got connected. I certainly knew your stuff, but so Joshua Riley, who's been a guest and is also a friend, great singer songwriter um and host the songwriter night both the featured songwriter nights and then the workshops at um, crooked thumb but i think it's worth noting this is true of most brewery culture that you know bands play at breweries and all over the place but here we especially have some people that are you know run breweries that really do appreciate good music and i, and I mm. think it is worth noting because it's how we found you for this interview at least the crooked thumb and safety harbor here which is a small little you know main street town but you know uh, kip kelly and, and travis over there Krieger, they, they just it's such a cool place for music like they really appreciate the song um and and the songwriter night there is i think a really good example of that yeah
2: that was that was really cool i i'd been to crooked thumb a number of times just to hang out with folks or grab a beer or whatever um but i didn't even realize they did music until joshua Wright hit me up and said hey i host the songwriting night would you want to come and play and and um, it was this summer, and I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to be off the road the entire summer. I may as well do something. And so, Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So went up there and was like, oh, wow, this is... He I mean, does it transforms, this, does this for week. sure. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. So that... Yeah, it was really neat. And that is a, that's a great spot. For sure, It's a man. cool little spot.
0: Well, you want to take us home with
2: one? Sure. This is the, uh, the title track to the newest album. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, this song is the... Uh, well, the, the new record is—it's fairly dark overall. I've actually gotten some some pushback on it, and more ashes and than earth. A little more ashes than earth for sure. Um, some folks have emailed. I've gotten plenty of phone calls. Are you okay? <laughs> Are you going to kill yourself? <laughs> Do you need help? All those types of things. Um, I'm fine. Okay. Um, for anyone listening, good. Don't need an intervention yet. That answers um, that question. <laughs>
1: yeah. No.
2: But I I, uh, I had written and recorded this entire record by last summer, um, summer of eighteen, and I went on the road for a three month stretch last fall. Went out west, was um, out west for a couple months, and uh, and I felt like something was missing from the from the collection of songs, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was very dark, and I knew it was very dark, and and there was no there was no song that really tied everything together, and so while I was on the road last fall, I wrote this this particular song and it completed the the album and uh it wasn't until i wrote this song that i knew what the the name of the record was going to be and so um ashes and earth is the title track and the you know the song i'm gonna take us home with
0: it's funny how that happens you know that late add to the record there's so many stories about that and, and you, that ends up being where you put your flag in you know? Right, and you yep. listen
1: to the, the mixes so much, and you think about the sequencing, and, and I, I think that is true. If, sooner or later, you're like, something's it's not total... It's not done. It's not it's complete not yet. There's yeah. something missing, yeah. Yep. So I'm glad you got to that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy this one, this
2: one uh, evolved and, uh, and made the cut, because originally I was going to call the record Deep in My Bones... That was going to be the title to the album. So, this is Ashes and Earth. Thank you guys once again for. for Thanks so much for being on, man. It's been a pleasure.
3: Give me one good reason not to leave this town. Give me one good reason not to go I live my life on open roads Rest stops, bars, and hotel rooms And I'm not sure where home is anymore Give me one good reason To come back to this place Get her aching deep down within my chest For some place I ain't never seen To find some grace for where I've been Looking for a soul on which to rest So take me back To that mountain Find me some forgiveness for my soul. Wash me deep in that river. Let the water rejuvenate these tired bones. Come and give my heart a new birth from these ashes and earth. Some men were made to wonder Some were made for standing still In both those lonely paths I've traveled down But I ain't found a voice to sing From anywhere where I've been A prophet without honor in his hometown Take me back to that mountain Find me some forgiveness for my soul Wash me deep in that river Let the water rejuvenate these tired bones Come and give my heart and birth Come on, get my heart birth From these ashes and earth From these ashes and earth From these ashes and earth
0: Nate, we appreciate you doing this, man. Yeah. Love yeah. your stuff. and uh, Congrats you. on all the success so far. And, Thank you. And hopefully all the future success we'll be watching. Hopefully we get you back on here to talk about the next record. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
3: Am I a sinner or am I a saint? Because I feel like a misfit on my better day. Was a ghost when I was younger, but it's in my past Got it all together, will ever last And so I leave, free to go I got a rambling heart in a God that I don't know
0: wanderers coming home you've been listening to songwriters.
1: thank you for supporting us and our sponsors and all the great independent music makers out there trying to make their way in the music business these days songs we heard in this episode are Another Love Song and Sinner or Saint from Nate's The Madman and the Poet album And from his latest album, we heard the title track, Ashes and Earth, along with Heart on the Run
0: and Ramblin' Man. To hear more of Nate Curran's full catalog, head over to iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get your music. To follow Nate's travels and catch him on the road, follow him on Facebook and Instagram, and check out natecurran.com. That's N-A-T-E-C-U-R-R-I-N.com. And if Nate convinced you to give up your steady gig for life on the road and playing music, good luck out there. But this wanderer's coming What kind of dog is he? Man, he is a
2: little uh, Manchester Terrier mix. He's got a little Chihuahua in him, but he's he's about 25 pounds and perfect size to be on the road. Not too big to be in the car for.
0: Those dogs can be pretty varying in disposition, I've found.
2: Yeah, Max has always been pretty ch- He's getting a little cranky in his old oh, age. Old,
0: old and crotchety. He's <laughs> kind of like me. <laughs> Songdivers is a production of Ybor City Records and recorded in the historic Kenwood District of St. Petersburg, Florida.